Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. So, we're on the same page. God seriously wants us to get this today. So the message title simply, Cornerstone. Cornerstone. And there is a next level revelation that I believe God wants us to step into with this. So just write it out. Um, this, this is the thing where... We're, we're deciding, as we're talking about the family altar, what are the things that are important about God that we want to celebrate, honor, worship, that we want to specifically instill in our children? We've been walking through Joshua 4, and when Joshua said as they crossed over the Jordan, and he said, pick up a rock for each tribe, and when you get to the place where you're lodging tonight, as free men and women... You know, as, as liberated people, as you get to the place where you lodge tonight, put it together. We're going to build a pillar. We're going to build an altar. And, and when your children ask in the days to come, what do these stones mean to you? Not just what do they mean, but what do they mean to you? You can tell them what God did for you. And how do we know what are the things that we put in that altar? How, how do we know the things that we want to share with our kids? And it all starts with a cornerstone. One stone has to be the first stone. One thing has to be the first thing that goes down. And so the cornerstone is where we're going to go today. Um, I've had a quote in my notes for the last three weeks, and I don't know if I've read it. If I have, and it's just a repeat, um, we really need to catch this. It says, uh, a quote from Scott Pauley, he says, perhaps the reason that we never develop a family altar is that we have not truly developed a personal one. The place God has in our homes simply reveals the place he holds in our hearts. And let's just leave that up there for a minute. Perhaps the reason we never develop a family altar is that we have not truly developed a personal one. And so this is where I believe God wants to take us today is that place of personal inspection, allowing the Lord to show us. So many of us have this idea that, yeah, oh yeah, I'm built on the word. I, I trust God. I'm believing in, I'm standing in faith. And then as soon as things start shaking, we freak out. And we have to pause and evaluate at that moment. I think, you know, our current situation, you'd have to be living in a cave to not feel the pressure of life right now. But essentially, um, it's kind of like we all came out of boot camp and we went out onto the battlefield and went, yeah, let me get some bad guys. And all of a sudden, the bullets started flying and we're like screaming home, going, they're shooting at us. <laughs> you know, and there comes a time when you've got to pause and go, wait a minute, I'm trained for this. I know what to do. Okay, this was a little scarier than I thought it was going to be. That's a little louder than I thought it was going to be. It's a little bit shakier than I thought it was going to be. I know what to do. And that is establishing your cornerstone. And that's something that has to be built. We have to know on the personal level where we stand before we can even uh, put it onto our kids. We cannot uh, do, like the modified version would be, we cannot expect of others what we don't expect of ourselves. We, we, cannot, we cannot expect our children to just grab onto something. We cannot just expect society to understand something if we don't know where we stand in the first place. We can't expect from others what we aren't willing to give ourselves. We can't give others in instruction what we don't have ourselves. And so really, if you've been freaking, if this was the week that you were like, come Lord Jesus, please, I'm serious, this message is for you. I mean, honestly, every one of us, I believe we are, like Pastor Jay uh, hinted at, 
we're at different points of pressure, but everybody's feeling it right now. There's just zero way to navigate this season without bumping into something. And so I can't pour out what I haven't had poured in, what I haven't established on the inside. And so we're gonna move through this. The ability to teach others to run to Jesus is found in our practice to run to Jesus. I can't tell other people, well, you know what? You just need to trust God for that if I'm not trusting God for that. I cannot tell people, well, you know what? God's big enough if I don't think he's big enough. And so really, it's not a, it's a, it's not a berating, it's an encouragement. God's asking us, what do you really believe? What do you really know? What are you really standing on? And some of us are just gonna learn today to dig our feet in. There's having done all to stand, we stand therefore. And that is a conscious decision. That's no small thing. It's, it's absolutely possible in God. But one of the things that I, I've been mulling over lately, I mean, I've read, maybe you have too this week, some really horrific articles um, about what's happening in Afghanistan to the Christians. I mean, straight up. Uh, there's organizations that had, you know, were connected with like 1,500 um, Afghani uh, Christians, and they can only find two or 300 of them now. They've, people have been beheaded in the streets and killed and raped, and it's, it's horrible. And uh, the level of pressure, and yet the Christian church is still standing the, the way they can stand, you know? And we've seen the Syrian uh, church, when, when all of that went down, people, you know, lived their lives, they, they spent all, you know, the, the same as we do. Got married, had children, got an education, started businesses, were in careers. And in a moment, something happens and they're on the run and they lose it all. And yet the church grows. How does that happen? Well, how does it happen when we see, you know, underground places all over the world, when the pressure hits, the church expands? It's, it's, it's something about, you know, the question is why didn't it expand before the pressure hits? And I believe it's because the cornerstone isn't tested in our lives yet. They're, the foundation is not tested. And so right now, um, you know, count it all joy when you fall into trials of every kind. When, when the, the hardships come, when the pressures come, we count it joy because we get to find out who we believe in. We get to find out where we stand. We get to test the metal of the kingdom a little bit. We get to find out who God really is. And I'm not, it's not doom and gloom. I'm just saying what the expectation has to be in this moment of history is as the pressure is there on, on the, you know, on the North American populace in general, but of course on the church. As the pressure is there and our faith gets tested, what we believe gets tested, who we know gets tested, what kingdom we're part of gets tested, it absolutely will bear the fruit of growth. It 100% will, which means that in the middle of the hard stuff, we can say, thank you, Jesus. I am so excited. Seems irrational. It seems, it seems, counterintuitive, but that's how the things of God work. When the pressure's on, this is when we expand. This is when we grow. But we have to make sure that we are built in the right place, leaning on the right source, that honestly, we're not deceiving ourselves. If we are seriously contemplating, compromising our values, our, our faith, walking away from Jesus, walking away from the church, walking away, you know, from whatever, saying that for the first time, maybe, well, maybe it doesn't work. 
we have to know that the enemy has been working for such a time as this. He's been, he's been trying to divide and conquer and separate and challenge us. And so there has to be something on the inside of, of us that rises up and just plants us, that establishes us and says, I will not be moved. If he won't be moved, I will not be moved. I will not be moved. And from that place, growth happens. So interesting, what we're talking about is actually building ourselves, not on the church, not on community, not on, you know, general religion. We're talking about building ourselves and creating that altar in ourselves that then becomes the altar in our families and in our homes and in our church setting that honors God, that is stable, that's built on the right things. And 1 Peter 2 Starting at verse four, it says, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, coming to him as to a living stone. So Jesus himself is this stone. He's the one that we're pursuing. He's the one that we come to. He's the one that we're anchored on. That whole passage has more to it. Um, but Acts 4, 11 and 12 says, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. That's Psalm 18, uh, 118 verse 22. It's repeated in multiple places in the Bible. Whenever that happens, you know this is, this is something that you can build a doctrine on that Jesus is called by the Father, the chief cornerstone that we are building our lives upon. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He is the only answer. And so it starts with salvation, but salvation is what gives us the anchor point for the rest of our lives here on the earth. The fact that we're not running around terrified is based on the fact that we know what happens when we die. We know what happens on the other side. We should not be terrified of anything that can harm us because we know where we go. We know whose we are. There's an anchor point that goes beyond the grave. It's, it's behind the veil in the presence of God himself. And so this anchor, this thing that we're built under, there is no other name by which we can be saved. And so if this week when the election happened and Tuesday morning you found out what the results were and you were utterly in despair, your anchor in the wrong spot that's the truth if you were like well what's the point your anchor's in the wrong spot you were told and warned ahead of time our hope is not in man and it's not in the political system it's in God alone if you if you got some kind of an announcement from your workplace this week and you were like what's the point anyway your anchor's in the wrong spot it should not be in your job if if you were were shunned by family members for whatever reason in this past week and, and on on the inside you're like what's the point anyway everybody your anchor's in the wrong spot there's this secure spot that God has called us to, and it's anchored in that salvation point with Jesus Christ. When we come to him and we find out we're loved, we're accepted, we're chosen, we've been ransomed, he's paid the price for us, we have a hope that goes beyond this lifetime, really everything else is subject to change, but that is my secure anchor point. That's the place I stand. 
Isaiah 28, 16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay as in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. And when it's translated in 1 Peter 2, 6, it says, Whoever believes will not be put to shame. Whoever believes will not be put to shame. I lay for you a cornerstone that is sure, that it is pure. It is a good foundation. It does not shake. It does not move. Everything else around us is moving right now, but he does not move. And I'm telling you, we have to come back to the point where we are, we are literally, it's Jesus or nothing. That, that spot, that, um, that place of commitment, that place of focus, it's going to seem weird to everybody around you. Who cares? If, if you can stand in peace and joy and love and confidence and hope in the midst of what's going on around us, you are an anomaly. And that's an anomaly that's going to be attractive. It becomes a light in the midst of the darkness and salt in the midst of a dry place. It's the thing that the world is craving for. The revealing of the sons and daughters of God only happens when we know whose we are. We can't stand if we're not confident of the foundation. So let's look at this cornerstone thing. I find it incredibly fascinating when you study the history of cornerstones um, and, and what is the cornerstone in our life. So the very thing that I want us to ask ourselves at the start of this is, what or who is your cornerstone? Really? We sang it this morning, we sang it with gusto. But there comes a point where we have to go, am I all talk? Or really, is he my cornerstone? I can sing it, I can declare it, I can get in a crowd and we're all, but really, when everything starts shaking, is it true? Who or what is my cornerstone? Really, and some of us are going to need to do a little construction this morning. Possibly adjust some stuff. When everything starts shaking, where's the first place you call? To be very honest, many of us, it's our spouse, it's our parents, it's the church. It's some prayer friend who we know will get on their knees. And I'm not saying that your spouse, your parents, the church, or your prayer friend won't support you, but your first call should be to him. And your second call is your support stone <laughs> who comes alongside and goes, yeah, I'll come into agreement with you. And we're going to stand in faith. So we want to look at this. We want to we wanna find out where is it that I really call? Where is it that I, you know, is the chief cornerstone in my life? We need to understand that before you can do something, you need to be something. So before, let's say, before you can, you know, do, you, work as a chef in a, you know, restaurant, you should be a chef, preferably. We've all eaten in places where that's questionable, but... Um, 
You know, before you can do nursing, you should have been to nursing school. Before you act as a mechanic, you should have some mechanical training. You should be something. Before Jesus can be and, and act as our cornerstone, we have to let him be the cornerstone. So we, we can't act like we expect him to just produce the stability if we're not putting him in the place of stability. And so this is the interesting thing. You know, we've been talking again, Joshua, uh, for the story. We're not going to look it up again today, but the take 12 stones with you, each person, come in, in each tribe, and you're going to put the stones together, and you're going to mark what God has done. Mark what this means to you. But there's also this passage in there, and if you want to study it, it's really cool, right in that chapter, um, where Joshua everybody's across. God has done great things for them. God has held up the uh, Jordan River at flood season in order for them to cross out, uh, over, in order for him to do something extraordinary. And they've crossed over and they've all seen what God has done. And as long as the priests stood with their feet and the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the river and, and that spot is, is established, the people could cross. And when everybody had crossed, the priests could cross. Why? Because the presence of God at that time was, was uh, held in that ark. It was the presence of God was with them. It wasn't so much about what God was doing. It was that God was there, that his presence was there. So the interesting thing is that Joshua, who's leading the people, and you remember the beginning of the story. If you read uh, Joshua 1, God comes to Joshua and he says, okay, Moses is dead. You're going to have to move. As I was with him, I will be with you. And I will lead you. I want you to meditate on my words. I want you to think on me. I want you to focus on me. And I am going to lead you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I am there with you. Be strong and courageous because I am there. Not because I will do, but because I am here. And so when everybody gets across, the interesting thing is Joshua goes back. And it says that he takes 12 stones back to where the priest stood. And that's where he builds his altar right in the middle of the water. He goes back and he honors not just what God has done, but the presence of God himself. I'm putting a marker here that because God was here, everything changed. Because God is real, everything changed. I'm putting these 12 stones here to mark that when God is in the place, everything changes. And we know that, you know, the, the water rises and falls in the Jordan. There's different times when it's flood season and low season. But it would have been in the drought seasons, in the hard seasons, that Joshua's stones would have been revealed. God is here. God's presence can change everything. God's presence is enough. God's presence will do. We don't study just what he will do. We study who he is. We honor who he is. We celebrate who he is. And what's interesting about the, uh, the stones that they put on the other side when they got to the other side was that it was dependent on people coming up and asking, you know, what, what had happened in order for them to change. What's interesting about the stones in the river is that honoring who God is, it just caused the water to go around it. It turned the course of the river. It turned the course. The, the, the circumstances had to change because there was a marker of the presence of God in that place. I'm telling you, when we start with honoring who God is and then we start talking about what he's done. It changes everything. Everything has to go around who God is. We celebrate him. What's really cool, just as a point of note, is that historians believe that the exact place where John the Baptist baptized Jesus was the same spot that Joshua laid those stones in the river. Isn't that cool? 
That's just a freebie. It's, I just think God's so awesome. So when we study this cornerstone thing, that Jesus is that cornerstone, he was, he was the one who, who uh, was to be established right from the very beginning in the center of our lives. The word cornerstone has to be dug out a little bit. And so a cornerstone, by, by definition, uh, our common definition, is an important quality or feature on which a particular thing depends or is based. And so the cornerstone of our business or the cornerstone of my life is, and we just see it as something that's important. It's a core value. It's a core feature. But the real definition is in construction. What was talked about Jesus was who he was, not just what he did. It wasn't like something important in my life. The real thing is a basic element of construction. The cornerstone marks the geographical location by orientating the whole building in a specific direction. It's not something important. It's the thing that orients the whole process, that orients the whole building that comes on it. It's the core thing. And I want to just look at the main concept. I wish I had pictures. It's, it's actually pretty hard to find. I want to tell you what a cornerstone actually does in construction, what it should do, uh, what it originally was intended to do, and then what it's become. And I want you to relate this to our faith. I want you to relate this to how we apply Jesus. Because if Jesus is the cornerstone, then what we know about cornerstones, at the time that the book was written, at the time it was prophesied about Jesus, it was a direct analogy because they were building by the ancient code. There was an understanding. A cornerstone is this. And so when God calls Jesus that, that's what they relate, were relating it to. Not just a, an important part of our lives, an important value. They were relating it to the building structure. So the main roles of a cornerstone, number one, is to be the starting place for the rest of the building. Traditionally, it is the first stone laid. It is to be the starting point. So we just read in Peter that we are being built together. We are coming as living stones, being built together as a house for God's presence to dwell. Jesus has to be the starting place. We don't add him in. We don't ask him to bless what we've done. We don't ask him to just, you know, come on. We, we've decided to do this. We've made this decision. We've stepped out in this area. God, would you bless it? Would you anoint it? No, he's got to be the starting place. And if he tells us to do something, it's his job to maintain the, the finished work on it. He will finish what he started in us, but he's got to be the starting place. And so that initial thing um, means that the Great Commission makes total sense. It means that when Jesus said, you're going to go be witnesses to me, he's the starting place. It's not about what do people think about how I, how I talk or how I, you know, how I share. It's what do they think about Jesus? I'm re representing him. He's the starting place and he is worthy to be declared. He's worthy to be celebrated. He's worthy to be honored. I'm hanging on to Jesus. He's the starting place. Christopher Smith has a good quote. He says, how come my life and actions fit in with what God has already started doing in the world through Jesus? Let's just leave that up for a second. This is a good question. This is the analysis. What's really my cornerstone? How can my life and actions fit in with what God has already started doing in the world through Jesus? In other words, I'm going to join his party instead of inviting him to add on to mine. 
That, for some of us in the, in the Christian faith in North America, that's a big turn. Why? Because it's all about me. Isn't it? What do I like? What do I want? Am I happy? Am I satisfied? Am I encouraged? Am I bored? Am I feeling like this is you know, beneficial for me? If Jesus is my cornerstone, I go back to the drawing board and I go, how come my life and actions fit in with what God has already started doing? What he's doing, I'm going to adapt to him. That's, that's a cornerstone. If I'm not willing to adapt, if I'm not willing to change, if I'm not willing to flex, he's not my cornerstone. I know that sounds harsh. It's going to get worse, you know. Like out there, it's going to get worse. It is possible in here for it to get better. And if that's going to happen, we're going to have to listen to the hard truth. Because the hard truth is actually life. It's actually hope. It's actually joy. It's actually peace. So this is the hard truth. The second thing that a cornerstone is supposed to do is to provide the measure and reference by which the other stones are laid. To provide the measure and the reference. So the boundary lines, Psalmist tells us that the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. How are they determined? By the cornerstone. The boundary line is in place. I know that, that when he's in place, he provides the measurement and the reference by which everything else is laid. He's got to be the first stone. We've all heard the story of when you're trying to balance your life and whatever, and you've got the big marbles and the small marbles and the sand. The only way to get them all in the jar is to put the big marbles first, right? Yeah. To put the small marbles to let the sand pour around it. But if you put the sand first, you put the small marbles, you won't get the big marbles in. What I'm saying is Jesus has to be the first thing that we start with and everything else works around it. So that, that idea, we had a house, um, the first house that we bought, I, I think, um, when our kids were small. And um, man, we got a raging good deal on it. It was awesome. We had a plan. We were going to renovate the whole thing. It was kind of one of those fixer uppers. We had a big flipping plan. It was going to be like to flip it, you know, um, and, that's, <laughs> and, uh, and so we went into it and we're going to, we're going to renovate and everything. And because everything was going to be fine, they gave us the keys to it a few days before all the paperwork was sealed up because we might as well get started on it over the weekend. Well, lo and behold, the fine, I mean, it was not a new house. It was a, obviously an old house. And, um, just before the papers were supposed to be fully signed, uh, we get this notice that they'd done the uh, survey on it and the house was crooked and uh, it was not going through. And we had meanwhile pulled out all the carpets and all the flooring, took off all the baseboards and we didn't technically own the house. Um, but yeah, I know it was, it was a big deal. So anyway, what happened was they had uh, the, the first part of the house, it had been a two-story house and it turns out back in the day, the top floor had burnt and so they'd taken the top floor down and then they just built onto it. So probably two thirds of the house at least was the addition, but the first piece, the first original house had been just a little bit off. And by the time it made it to the back of the lot, our eaves were hanging over the neighbor's property line. And so uh, I think the only thing that worked out for us is that the neighbor actually worked for the bank that was providing the mortgage. And I'm not sure if she got pressured or what, but she eventually signed off on letting us 
encroach upon her property. But the thing was, you look at the house from the front and it was straight. And I mean, the house was, was level, it was plumb, every, the whole house was, but the whole thing was just a little bit twisted. This is what happens if we try and add in Jesus after the fact. He's got to be the starting point, and he will make sure that it's straight so that everything else that gets added on is straight. What happens with that cornerstone is, is if it's tipped a little bit even, um, you know, front to back, what ends up is you have a, a building that ends up leaning and subject to storms, it will just fall. It will, it will just fall. So we have this thing with Jesus that he needs to be the first main thing in our lives. If we've been feeling tippy, you've been feeling like your stuff is encroaching into other areas and people are starting to get upset, it is possible that the cornerstone has not been positioned properly in your life. That's actually helpful information, I think, because rather than why, why is the building of my life crooked? You know, why aren't you adapting to me? Why, you, I'm feeling tippy. Why are you being so annoying? You know, it's not that. It's okay. I should be stable and steadfast and immovable in Him. So I got to go back and check the foundation. Is He there? Because if Jesus is there, everything else built off of it will be level, it will be uh, stable, it will be able to grow. Number three that a cornerstone does is it forms the base or corner on which two, jo uh, two walls join. So this is kind of a big deal because that cornerstone is obviously the very point in the corner and two walls come in and they meet in that place and it provides the stability for the rest of the house to be built. So for us, we are of another kingdom, right? If you have come to Christ, you've been told you're a, of another kingdom. You now have a new king. You have an eternal home. But guess what? You still live in this sucky world. So how do we bring the two together? Well, we're actually called to be salt and light here. So this isn't a sucky world. So that this is the place where we get to, we get to live out the fullness of heaven on earth. We get to start praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We get to see the bridging together of what God is and who God is with what he wants and how he cares about people. There's a place when Jesus is that joining point where it all comes together. We're okay to be here because we have him and we know where we're going. It suddenly makes sense. If you have an understanding that there must be an afterlife, there must be something that happens after we die because we've all seen that, you know, when a spirit leaves a body, we know it must go somewhere and, and, and you know that there's an eternal and you know that there's a natural, but you don't have Jesus as a cornerstone. They don't fit together. There's no stability there whatsoever. But because Jesus is the author of life, because he is the way the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father by, but by him. Because he is the very beginning, he's the author of life. He's, he's the creator of this, this world that we're living in. Because he's that, if he's the cornerstone, then the eternal and the temporal can come together in a way that makes sense to us and we can manage it. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I, I, there is, if there's an idea of, you know, reincarnation or some sort of ethereal nothingness out there, you will be lost on the inside in this realm because Christ is not the cornerstone. But when we put Jesus in there to live as Christ, to die as gain, it all comes together. There's peace in that. There's hope in that. There's joy in that. And so we're not afraid. We're not afraid because we know how the two come together. It's extremely cool. 
And number four, this is one of my favorite parts that a cornerstone does. It's to provide stability upholding the weight of the building. It is structurally vital to hold the weight. This is why it says that it's a tried stone. It's a tested stone. It's a precious stone. Because cornerstones over the years have been used that were not made of the right material. I'm talking building-wise. Have flaws in them. There's a di- the wrong kind of stone. There's a softness to the stone or there's a flaw in the stone. And over time, even though that cornerstone might be right, it might be level, it might be balanced, it might be positioned correctly, over time it cannot support the weight because it's flawed on the inside. And so Jesus is this pure stone that actually carries the weight. So if I'm walking around with the weight of the world on my shoulders, what does that mean? He's not your cornerstone. If I am buckling under the weight of this life, I have not got Jesus in the right place. I have not got him positioned properly because his job is to carry the weight. He says, come and learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What does that mean? It means he's carrying the bulk of it so we don't have to. I'm telling you, when we ask the question, who is my cornerstone really? Any one of these things, you're feeling tippy, you're feeling the heaviness, you're feeling the the crookedness, you're feeling any, the cornerstone just needs to be put in the right place. It's the cool thing, but here's the problem. Over time, society has changed the meaning of a cornerstone. And I want to just look at these, and again, through reference of Christ in our lives, because we can see the, the commonalities over time. Cornerstones began to be used for different purposes. Some of the earliest ones were um, in Egyptian format. Some of them were, uh, you know, even in Japan and whatnot. The first thing that we see that's a bit of a flaw is it began to be used as a superstitious ceremony. It was a place for ritual sacrifices, for blood offerings, for all kinds of, you know, um, spiritual things that when a building was built, you know, there's stories of even they would hollow out a cornerstone and put young women in there as a sacrifice to gods or whatever, and then close them into the building. How sick is that? But with the idea that we're offering something to the gods to protect this building. And so it becomes this ceremonial thing that has been done. Now, a lot of people have crosses and scripture verses and all sorts of stuff all over their homes and no real connection. That's the same thing. It's nothing but a superstitious bit of garbage. It's not a cornerstone. It it can look very Christian on the outside. I mean, I remember one of my mission trips and we were going into different houses and I said, well, it's so interesting. Like there's there's crosses and Jesus in, you know, all these homes. And the, the hosts of the mission base were like, yeah, it means nothing. They actually have shrines to everything in these houses because they'll take anything they can get. Some of us may be at risk of that. Where we just, you know, Jesus is the... Good luck charm. He's not the real cornerstone. It's something that we've slid into. The second thing, and we've seen these in various places, especially in North America, is the status. 
they become status symbols. And so instead of actually holding any kind of weight at all, instead of holding what it is, uh, you know, to, to bring balance to the building, anything that has any kind of depth to it, it's placed a little higher and it's inscribed with the date, the architect, the builder. Um, basically, it's the status symbol of look who I'm connected to, look who I'm hanging with, look what I can afford. And, and it becomes this thing that, you know, it was, you can see it all through, um, you know, buildings made in kind of the 1700s, 1800s, where there's this marker, it's just this stone, and you can see who I knew. It's this status symbol. It's this thing. Of, it's not about actual relationship. And so we've come through this season where some of, I think, our stats are a little off when we say, well, this percentage of people used to attend church and this percentage of people do now. A lot of people used to just attend church as a status symbol. It, it, was, it was a given. You would never get elected in politics if you didn't have a church that you were going to. You know, especially in the U.S., that was a big thing. So I'm a, I'm a regular you know, attender at such and such a church. Nothing about necessarily a heart commitment, but this is what I do. I remember getting into real estate and one of the, um, one of the things in one of the training sessions said, if you haven't already, it would be wise to join something like your city's chamber of commerce or a church in order to network. It's one of the reasons we kind of button down a little bit some of the sharing, you know, like, your home business is one thing, but you know, it's wrong to join a church to network. We gather together to glorify God. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. There's purpose in it. We gather together to spur one another on to love and good works. We gather together for his purposes, but we have to understand, am I coming to church as a status thing? Is there, is it just like, I, I mean, worst case scenario, my mom finds out I haven't been attending church. She's going to kill me. That's, you know, whatever, that the, the, what will other people think reason is not an actual cornerstone. It looks like it, but it's not, and it won't hold anything. The third thing is memorabilia. And so um, over time, again, they've become, cornerstones have been used as time capsules. So you, you bring in, you know, people will bring in the things that are important to them in this moment in history. These are the things of our lives. This is how we live. It's a time capsule. It's this, it's this place where we're going to be nostalgic about it. We're going to know, you know, every time we walk past that building or come into that building, we think, oh man, what are our, what are our children going to think of this? What are our grandchildren going to think about this? Remember the time. Remember the good old days. Remember what was. It won't hold up. It's a hollow stone that can't carry weight. It will not sustain the building that God wants to build on it. It can't be about stuff. Right now, I know that there's people who are being challenged in every area. I'm not naive to it at all. It's up close and personal for us. But some of the decisions that you're needing to make are, are, may cost you. And if the question comes up, about the stability of Christ in the middle of what might cost you, it tells you that the cornerstone is wrong. It tells you that your cornerstone might just contain a time capsule of what you think is important to you, the stuff of life. But here's what I know. The stuff can come and go. The stuff is not the real things of life. If I'm built on Christ, then my house is just stuff. My car is just stuff. My job is just stuff. It's just stuff. It comes 
and it goes. The, the things that I think are super important, are they really important? Are they founded on Christ? Because if they're not, hold them loosely. They maybe should be secondary stones in the building, but they're not the cornerstone and the cornerstone will not fail you. There comes a time when we have to be tested in this. We have to be tested to know, am I still gonna serve him if I lose the stuff? Am I still going to serve him if it's uncomfortable? Am I still going to serve him if it gets difficult? Am I still going to serve him if nobody else understands me? Is it, am I still going to serve him if, 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 if people just walk away? If the cornerstone is there, having done all to stand, stand therefore. And you know what? The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. <laughs> It's time for us to grow up in the things of God. I know some of the people in this room have only been walking with the Lord for three months. Let me tell you, you're on the fast forward plan. Some of us have known him for 30 plus years and it's time to grow up. Some are still on the baby food and it's about time to decide to start chewing. You got teeth for a reason, use them. So we're moving forward. The fourth one is straight up ornamental tradition. People will build houses and put on a cornerstone that literally serves no purpose. It has, it has, can carry no weight. It holds no old stuff. It holds no, you know, spiritualistic stuff. It holds no dates on it. It literally is decorative for the purpose of just being decorative. It looks good. I'm just, I feel it in the pit of my spirit. Like it's, it's so aggressive to me. That if we are just doing church or just praying prayers or just singing worship songs and it's sheerly ornamental, it will not stand. I feel it's very, very much time for us to know when I pray, I am not just spitting air, words into the air. I am talking to a living God and I am putting a draw on my very life source and I am returning his words to him and his words will not return to him void, but they will accomplish that which he sent them to in the thing to which he sent it. And so when I stand on his word, I am not just, I am not, it is so past the time of pulling out your little daily promise thing and just, you know, reading it. It off get in the word and find out what it is he's talking about and lay hold on it. it it is absolutely time worship is not about how you feel I mean it felt good in here this morning but you know what was important was that we sang if he's greater let him be greater if he's higher, let him be higher. On Christ the solid rock I stand. This is not about do I like this song. It's about I am telling myself where my cornerstone is and I am built on him and him alone and I don't care what else happens. It's Jesus or nothing. That's the call. That's the place he's invited us into. So this is seriously no joke. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. And that passage, if you just spent the time to meditate on that this week, I mean, I can't give you homework, but if I could give you homework, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, has this instruction for everything in it, like just for life. It's got, it's got something for every piece of your life. And at the very tippy, tippy end of it, 
Jesus says this in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. It says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, that's everything else in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, 6, 7, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on that house, but it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. I mean, I remember, I remember singing when I was a kid, don't build your house on the sandy land, you know, and it was, it's like in there, but that looks very different when you're looking at your bank balance and the end of the month and you're standing in faith. It doesn't feel very, don't build your house. On, but what do you know about the promises of God? Are you laying hold of him? When we do our tithes and offerings in this church, let me just put this out there again. It is not because the church needs your money. It's because it is your connection to Jehovah Jireh. It is an act of faith and obedience because if he doesn't provide for us, we're hooped. That is the honest to goodness truth. It's that place where I have been threatened with something. I've been intimidated by something. I've, I've gotten a report from the doctor and I don't know what to do. Then to not put my house on the sandy land, but to build it on the rock is to go back to what does Jesus say about this circumstance? What is it? You know what he says in the Sermon on the Mount? He says stuff like, don't worry profound <laughs> don't worry your father knows he says bless god i can't take it blessed are the poor in spirit Blessed are those who mourn. He, he, he addresses the very issues that we're going through. And when we come back to him in that place and we go, Jesus, I have no idea how to get through this but you. So I will plant myself on you. I'm shutting everything else, everybody else. If there is, if there is unbelief and doubt being spoken, I'm tuning it out. I am not talking to that person. And I'm not saying be mean, but I'm saying sometimes you got to establish your boundary lines in him. It does a foundation. The structure of the cornerstone will tell you what can be part of this building and what can. And right now it's getting pretty precise. Only certain things can stay. Only certain things will stand in the midst of this. So he says, ha, the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. So we go back and we check the foundation. There's any bad stones in there, we replace them. There's anything that's tippity, anything that's been, you know, places where we say we trust God, but we actually have not established him as the cornerstone, we reestablish that. And then from that place, we decide, see, it doesn't say that necessarily the storms are going to stop. We love the story where Jesus got up from sleeping in the boat and he told the storm to stop. We don't like this one so much. Because that storm was demonically motivated to block Jesus from getting to the other side where the demoniac was and Jesus was on assignment. And so he silenced it. It was evidently against the father's plan. But he says for us, the storms are going to come and the winds are going to blow, but we're in this world. We're not of it. And so we have to decide that even though it's blowing, I'm steadfast. I'm immovable because I'm built on the rock. James picks it up in James 1, to 25. And he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. 
In other words, if I say I believe it, but I can't put it into practice, I've, I'm deceived. So the spirit of wisdom and revelation can come in and blow it wide open for us. Wow, God, I thought I, thought I was strong in that area, but I'm not. I thought I trusted you in this area, but I clearly don't. I thought you were enough for me, but I, I, I must not actually believe that. And that's not to condemn. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that the Lord prompts stuff. And he's like, can you, can you come back to the place of the beginning and let me be that cornerstone? And let's start rebuilding piece by piece the stuff that needs to be there so that when this keeps blowing, because it will, you will stand. So be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he looks into the perfect law of liberty and uh, sorry, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in all he does. That's so precise, isn't it? It's like you can, you can walk away and not know. You know, you can just choose to forget stuff. You can choose to stay in the superficial zone. Or you can actually choose to be a doer of what it is he tells you to do. And you will be blessed in all you do. Like what a promise, huh? Going back to Matthew 7, picking up at verse 26. It says, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell and great was its fall. So we've got the options of it did not fall, it was founded on the rock, whatever he does is blessed versus it will fall and great will be its fall. So this is why we talk about things like this. This is what God's calling us into. It's this thing where God wants the very best for us. That relationship with him is literally everything. But we have to choose it. And I know, I know this week, I've had conversations. There's so many people grieving various things this week, like loss of life, loss of jobs, loss of you know, relationships. It's been a hard week. It would do you no good for me to stand here and just go, oh, Jesus understands. The gift that the Lord gives us is to say, okay, come on back. If you're shaky, you're feeling floppy, you're feeling lost, you're feeling scared, you're feeling angry, you're feeling like you don't know where to go from here. You're feeling like the people that you thought you could count on to pray for you obviously failed. You can't get a hold of them. You know, you thought that these people would stand with you and they didn't. Come on back. Let's look at that cornerstone. Let's establish me in the very center of your life. 
And let's choose to stand. Let's choose to, to live in that place of security and strength that comes only from Christ. That place that locks in eternity and the temporal and finds us a place to balance the both. Where we can live here. We can function here. And that great hope that's on the inside of us is that when we cross to the other side, it is glorious. But while we're here, we do it with him. We live in him. In him we move and live and have our being. We get to, to, to experience him in every day on this side. The, the angels don't get to experience what we experience. Redemption, forgiveness, freedom, that level of connection, being sons and daughters of God. And they wish they could. You know, they serve their purpose, you know. But we have our purpose. And our purpose is to choose him. And to finish the life, build the life on the foundation that he starts. So this morning, I'm going to have the worship team come up. And if everybody could just close their eyes for a minute. We want to meditate on this for just a second. There is zero condemnation in this. I want you to hear... My heart on this, I want you to hear the heart of God on this. This is not, oh, I'm a bad Christian. I'm not a good enough Christian. I obviously don't worship well enough. I don't pray well enough. This is not that. There is no such thing as a good Christian. There's no such thing as a good worshiper or a good prayer. What there is is sons and daughters who come into relationship, who lay hold of him who come into relationship with God and decide to live life out of him, through him, with him, in him. And so the simple thing is that we come as we are, but we're an extension of him. So if anything in us needs to change, he'll change it. He's the cornerstone. He's the starting place. He's the foundation. If we think we're going to fix us so that he'll accept us, it won't work. If we feel like I've been saved for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, I know better than this. Repent and go back to the cornerstone and say, okay, God, help me establish you in the right spot in my life. I've obviously neglected this particular, you know, stream of faith. And I need, I need to know you as the source of my identity. I need to know you as the source of my hope. I need to know you as the source of my supply for all things. I need to know you as wisdom. I need to know you as courage. I need to know you as peace. I need to know you as hope. I am so tired of carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. I can't take it anymore. So I'm giving it back. Because Jesus, you invited me to. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come and learn from me, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is just this beautiful invitation that Jesus gives us. Now, some of us may never have made that decision to be part of God's family in the first place. Maybe, maybe you just have not committed. And some, maybe you have, but you've walked away. And today you need to make that decision. You need to come back and you need to establish Jesus as the center of everything. 
And normally in these moments, we keep it pretty mellow. And just say, just put your hand up if you need to make that commitment today. But you know what? The world is getting harder and darker. And the winds are blowing like crazy. And if we can't stand together, we sure won't stand alone. And so I'm going to ask you if you need to make that decision today, if you would just stand wherever you are. Just stand up. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Just stand up wherever you are in the building. If you're online, just type it in. I'm standing. There's four in the back there. Anybody need to join them this morning? You need to make that commitment. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Thank you. Just stay standing. And we're going to pray with you this morning. And we're going to make that commitment. Those who are standing right now, I'm going to invite you, if you would, when we finish this song, Pastor Brad is over right in this corner. And Pastor Brad and Linda would love to meet you there. And they're just going to pray with you and give you some first steps to walk out. So please, if you're, if you're with them, come with them this morning. And we want to celebrate the new beginning. Now, I'm going to ask for the rest of us, if you need to make that commitment, there is, there is something that needs to be established, putting Jesus in the cornerstone in a certain area of your life. Would you stand this morning with these that are standing? Yeah. Yeah, all over this room. This, it's not a bad thing. There's, there's an establishing of Jesus' cornerstone. Jesus, I'm coming back to you in this area. That's it. That's it. I know there's more. I know there's more. You need to establish him as the cornerstone in that place. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You know. You know if the winds are blowing and the waves are rising and you're feeling shaky, you're feeling like it's just not solid. You need to stand. This is the moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, thank you, Lord. This is your act before God. This is you saying, Jesus, I'm putting you back in that cornerstone place. Maybe the spot you've never put him before. Maybe he was the ornamental God that God added on. Maybe it was the superstitious, I just need some good luck from heaven. Maybe it was about the stuff, what can God do for me? <laughs> But it's, it's really today, it's about who he is for you. Who he is for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I don't mean to belabor this. This is not for anybody else. This is between you and God. I just want to give you the opportunity. I know some of you this week, you were like, somebody throw me a lifeline. This is it. <laughs> this is the lifeline. Jesus, you're everything, you're everything, you're everything, you're everything, you're everything. Jesus, you're everything. You're everything. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer this morning, and I'm, I'm going to start with the salvation prayer is what we call it for those who have stood that first standing this morning. This is your commitment to Christ, but we're all going to pray it. Because it's a reestablishing. We're not getting saved for the 97th time. We're reminding our spirits of what has happened and that exchange that has been made. And so I'm going to pray it out. And if you'd repeat after me this morning, Father God, 
I come before you today and I thank you for speaking to me. I thank you for offering me life, for offering love, for offering forgiveness, for offering a sure foundation. And God, this morning, I recognize that I can't be worthy in myself. I can't do everything right. And so God, I come before you and I ask forgiveness for any place where I've fallen short of your mark, where I have sinned. And I thank you today that the blood of Jesus washes and makes me clean and makes me new. I thank you for inviting me into your family. And today I declare, I'm a son or daughter, whatever you are, of God. Help me, Lord, to live as your child and to live in the fullness of what you paid for me to experience. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And now I just pray over each one today, God, those standing, those who still need to make the choice to stand. Lord, those watching online that are standing in their homes in various places. God, today I thank you that you, you are so good to offer us time and time and time again. We can come back to you. But Lord, I thank you that today there is an anointing to establish you as the cornerstone of our lives. I thank you for an establishing of a sure foundation, Lord, that the stuff that is is uh, tippy, the stuff that feels off, the stuff that feels scary, God, it has to come into alignment with you and your word. And Lord, I thank you today that you cause us to become not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. I thank you, Lord, that your word promises us that when the storms come, when the waves arise, when the winds blow, God, we will be the house that stands, 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 stands. Lord, I thank you that we who become hearers and doers of the word, God, everything we do, it's blessed by you, God. And so, Lord, I thank you for the confidence rising up on the inside. Each person who's had to let something go and is letting something go in this season, I thank you for courage. I thank you, Lord, for the ability to stand. I thank you, Lord, for those who are waiting for that breakthrough. You are the breakthrough and you're enough. I thank you, Lord, that those that are waiting on various forms of provision or employment or whatever it is, God, you are, you're our source. So we choose to not fear. We choose to not worry. We choose to not meddle. We choose to not carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. It's yours. And so God, today we just release it to you. We release ourselves into your care. And Lord, I thank you for a next level relationship, stability in you and growth for the church. And we thank you for it today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.